Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's been many weeks since we played Cripple Thanos at Snowwurst, and it's been a full two months, or it is a two months ago, until we eventually play them again in Paradise. So what more ridiculous timing could we choose than this to invite on today's Palace supporting guest? The truth is, this fan is in the best traditions of the rivalry, couldn't stand the idea of speaking with the enemy anyway, and even vaguely close to the derby. And so... Um, Via a foolhardy bet, as I understand it, and a deal with us devils, we present him to you today. He is a comedian, writer, broadcaster and podcaster associated with such treats as news and quiz shows, Have I Got News For You and A League Of Their Own. He's the one-time roving reporter on Match of the Day too. For many years now, a regular contributor on Palace podcast, The Five Year Plan, and latterly co-star of the truly excellent Price of Football podcast with one of our own, Kira Maguire. Or Kyle McGowan, as a, a correct nameophobe <laughs> friend of mine recently <laughs> called him. Um, we, we therefore present for you this very evening on a lovely Friday, week before Christmas, um, the best of a bad bunch. It's Kevin Day. Hello, Kevin. Uh, hello, I think. <laughs> no, <laughs> do, you, do you know what? It's, um, I'm going to be uh, taking it out on Kieran for the next four or five weeks, Smellhurst. It's, it's, do you know, in, in all the years I've been a, a Palace fan, it's never occurred to me that an away team might. Change Sellers into Smellers. That's that's that's, 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 that's well done. Remarkably creative, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, it was very good. It. It's very good. It's it's uh, it's lovely to be here. Of course, it is. Excellent. No, it's it's great to have you on. Um, you are actually not the first Palace fan we've had on. I don't know if you know him, but um, Bob the Cat Bevan came on um a few weeks ago or quite a few months ago um in relation to Michael Robinson dying because he was on the uh, helicopter journey for the eighty yes. three Cup final. Yes. Do you know? Do you know Bob? I, I, I do know. I've come across Bob, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I know his stories more than I know Bob, basically, but 25,000 Palace fans can do most of Bob's stories off by heart now, <laughs> yeah. But Bob's great. No, he's he's um, he's a really nice chap. And also for somebody like me who's um, obsessed with the history of football and also the history of my own club, it's, it's you know, he's a, he's a little bit older than I I mean, I'm you know getting on a bit, but he's a little bit older than I am. So I always love talking to fans who have seen players mm. that I've only only heard about and he's uh he's a, he's a very nice it's again it's one of those things that i love about football clubs and that people who don't understand football will never understand this is that every club has those people hanging around that, that turn up at functions for no apparent reason they haven't particularly been invited they've just always been part of the club furniture and they always they always will be and you get to know them over the years and it's sometimes you don't even know their names but you just know that bloke that you speak to every time you go to a particular do and it's 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 part of the glorious infrastructure of of all football clubs, not how how big or or small they are. Bob, yeah, Bob's a very nice chap, and he's uh, yeah. some of his off air jokes are less palatable than his on air jokes. <laughs> let's put, let's put it that way. <laughs> Wonderful, that's what I like to hear. Um, we'll, we'll get into. I mean, it's interesting because he says he's a bit older, and um, also Roy Hodgson was a Palace fan, wasn't he? And uh, uh, back he in the was. day, yeah, and he, they um, don't feel. 
they don't feel the rivalry as much as you and, and others do. We'll probably get into that later. But well, uh, Roy does, funny enough. And Roy, Roy's really interesting. As again, I'm sure we'll talk about Palace fans' uh, relationships to, to Roy, and I'm sure your relationships to Graham Potter are different to, to what the media really know. But a friend of mine who runs Palace TV said that when Roy took over, and we were without a doubt relegation bound, he... He gathered all the players together on the on the centre circle and gave him a speech about how he used to stand uh, at the homes at the Homesdale end. He used to get a tram to the game and it cost him sixpence, and all the players nodded. Uh, and then when Roy left him, they all turned to Chris Grierson and said, "What's a tram? What's sixpence? And why, and why was he standing up?" So it's like, is um, yeah, Roy's a, Roy, it's, Roy's a proper palace fan. No, he when you talk to Roy in private, he's very much into the rivalry. But obviously, um, oh. public Roy has to kind of talk it down and do what they all do. So it's it's just another three points, which gets him into trouble because to Palace fans go, it's not just another game. It's not just three points. It's 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 them. But he he just in public will do what every manager does. Go no, it's just a, it's a game of football. It's, you know, it doesn't matter that it's against our, our rivals and so on and so forth. But he knows as much about the history of Crystal Palace Football Club as any Palace fan, which I think for a manager is both a, a, a beautiful thing and a curse as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, we'll get into that in more detail a bit later. In a minute, I'm going to ask you about your um, your Palace background, really, how you got into the games from the early years. Just firstly, to introduce the rest of the panel tonight, so to speak, we have Andy Bravery back with us. We have Robin and we have Peter Marsh. Um, hello, boys. How are you doing? Good evening, yeah. Right, yeah, fine, thank you. Yeah. Good, good. Brilliant. Well, without any further ado then, Kevin, tell us a bit about how you got into football right back when, in the early days. What what was small Kevin with his shorts on? What yeah. when, when did he get into it? Well, I'd like to start by saying that um, so far the Palace fan on this pod has been more enthusiastic than the other three Brighton fans. <laughs> judging, judging, judging by that desultory hello you got from the other three Brighton fans. I, mean, I know you had a, a terrible nil-nil draw with Fulham away last night. But you need some energy, boys. I know it. I know it's like doing a podcast after a bad game. It's easier to do a podcast after a bad game than after a good one, basically. I um, yeah. as a kid, I, I, I don't remember as a four. Or five, I, I sat next to my first day at primary school. I sat next to a kid who was so much taller than me that I thought I'd been put in the wrong class, and I started crying. Um, and he put his arm around me and consoled me. And he had, uh, this is an old story, but he was wearing a claret and light blue jumper that his mum had knitted for him. Uh, and he became my best friend. He still is. We still go to Palace games together 50 years later. Uh, and it was through him and through his dad that I started supporting Palace. I have to say that he denies every detail of that story. He swears point blank that he's never put his arm around me at any stage and that he never had a claret and light blue striped jumper. But... Um, it was certainly his, him and his dad that started getting me into I loved. I mean, I loved football. And then I started going properly sort of seven or eight um, with his dad. And then things were slightly different in those days. So sort of nine or 10, we would start going to home games together. And then by 12, 13, we were pretty much going to uh, home and away games on our own. And, and I, I don't think... I don't think for any generation of football fans is any better time to support... It's between the age of sort of nine and 13, that's when you're really, truly obsessed with football that's when you you get this the shoot magazine the ladders do you get everything you know the name of every every club ground you know their manager you know their kit you know everything about football and, and when you start supporting a team at that age you're never going to stop supporting a team at that age and and I, I still I still again that thing about um we were talking beforehand off air about you know false memories that I remember my first game first um oh, I can't remember. I think he said, his dad says it was Man United um, at Palace. But I remember the pitch being so green. But it can't have been because the pitch at Celeste was never green. Because obviously you watch football on, on black and white telly and you, you go again. I remember, the, I remember the swearing and the smoke and the pitch being green. But no pitches were green in those days. But I just... So I, I've, I kind of have a vague colour wash memories of early, early games. And funny enough, it was around sort of 76, the FA Cup run that I started. I, I've really got proper memories from them because I went to every game in that FA Cup run. Uh, and, of course, it was later on in that year that we started the rival between our two clubs. But, yeah, the once once Palace got under my skin, I was taken as a very young kid to see Wimbledon when they were still in the Southern League. And, obviously, I didn't like that very much. But um, And Palace... Uh, 
I've said this before, and people don't quite understand it. I, I, I know one of you lives in Croydon, so he might understand it a little better. Where, where I was brought up, which is sort of where Streatham meets Tooting meets Mitchum, there's nothing there. There's no name for where I was brought up. And there's no distinguishing features to where I was brought up. You, you would have to be brought up within 500 yards of where I was to go, oh, yeah, I know that place. So being a Palace fan gave me my identity, basically. And, and even now... I get so proud when people say to me, oh, yeah, you're the Palace fan. I, I really, I've done so many things in my life, but the fact that people know I support Crystal Palace, it makes me very, very proud. And it's, it's, and it's part, and also as well, I've never been one of those fans. It, it, obviously, I hate Brighton. Of course I do. I'm a civilised human being. But I've, I've never been, I, I, I always understand as a football fan, I never understood how England fans in particular could boo other people's national anthems. I never understood why you weren't allowed to support another country in the same way you support your country. And again, I've never fully understood why football fans can genuinely hate someone because they support a different football team when their experiences are exactly the same. No matter whether you're in yeah. Newcastle or Plymouth or Norwich, your experiences of following a football team, if you're a proper fan, your experience is exactly the same. You've been treated in exactly the same way and yet you hate somebody because they, they happen to be born in a different place or, or support a different yeah, team. Yeah, we we were actually talking off air just before you joined us and we were saying actually um and this is something you don't really like to admit but actually i would rather spend a couple of hours talking to a palace fan that goes home and away than i would do an armchair man united fan i I, you know i've got a friend of mine who who is a comedian but he used to work in politics again he would much rather talk to somebody who votes and is politically aware even if they don't vote for the same party as he does, then talk to somebody who's apathetic about it. And, and you're exactly the same. We've all had this experience at weddings, you imagine, because I feel really sorry for people who don't like football because who do they talk to at weddings? It's that terrible thing yeah. when you sat at a table. Also at school as well. I mean, eh? yeah. school, like, it was such a good way of just talking to people about football. Uh, even if they weren't massive football fans, everyone supported someone and everyone was... Yeah, of course. And within, within 15 minutes, you're talking about football and then you're talking yeah. about politics. But it, it gives you... And especially, as you say, to, to, to... Proper's not the right word, but to real football fans, people who actually go to games. And then, then you suddenly find, find out that you were at the same game you know, 15 years ago and you've got a completely different view of it. And it's like, as, as you just said, I would much rather talk to a a rival football fan properly, then I would talk... Otherwise, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I mean, I would happily talk about theatre and ballet to people who love theatre and ballet, but eventually I'll get restless and I want to talk about football, essentially. It's almost like yeah. that's the kind of the, the big group and gathering thing. So, you know, most football fans are... I mean, obviously there are exceptions, but a lot of them individually, in person, will be happy, a really good conversation. But sometimes people get dragged into the group thing and basically you end up kind of like as a group of fans hating other fans. But actually, yeah, one-on-one... Yeah, exactly. conversation there, and it's and it's football for all. I mean, for me, I'm sure it's the same for you. Football's been the baseline to my life. It's the one thing that's always there, through you know, through terrible fallings out with parents and with partners, and through bereavements and job loss and all sorts of stuff. You know that the pub and Sellers Park is always there, and you know that for that glorious three hours in the pub and then the hour and a half at Sellers Park, you know that you can genuinely forget everything and then you come out into reality but you you it's kind of like having a loyal partner who's always there for you whatever division yeah. you're in and whatever mental division you're in we're there for them and they're there for us and it's a strange relationship it, you can't you, and you can't explain it to someone who's not in, who doesn't get it you, you, you really, like i get i've got in trouble for this a few times because i've mentioned it a few times on this podcast in a couple of different episodes which is i didn't i didn't cry when i got married I didn't cry when either of my kids were born, but I, got, I cried when Brian got promoted to the Premier League. I, and that um, wasn't through choice. That wasn't me. But, you know, that's just how you, that's just how, you know, because it's something you've been invested in literally your entire, well, the vast majority of your life you've been invested in this. My, my wife, I'm really glad to hear you say that because my, my wife has come to terms with this because I love her dearly. I, I adore my wife and I adore my son. He's a Palace fan as well. Of course I do. I, I would die for them. But... They know that when somebody says to me, what was the happiest moment? The happiest moment of my life, the, the moment was the moment when the referee blew the whistle at the end of the 1990 FA Cup semi-final when we beat Liverpool 4-3. And, and I'm still convinced that the, the crowd parted just enough for me to be the first person to see him raise a whistle to his lips. But that, that single moment was the happiest. And of course, when my son was born, of course you were over the moon. When I'm married, of course I'm over the moon. That single moment 
was the the most joyful moment of my life. And there's been others like it at Palace, and some some of the worst moments of my life have been at Palace as well. But as you say, unless you try and explain that to me, people would be horrified. They say, "You what? Yeah, you, your happiest moment was at a football ground when you've got." A wife and children. You should be ashamed yeah, Absolutely, it was. Yeah, yeah without, a doubt, like, without, without a doubt. Without a doubt, probably, the, probably the top five or top ten. <laughs> you could, you could reel off a few, probably. Well, also as well because I didn't, I didn't share the birth of my child with fifteen thousand other people, and it's like, and it's because everything. Those happy moments of football. They're not, they're not just about that one happy moment. They're about the shit that you've put up with for years. And that's why I get I get really cross with with friends of mine who are Arsenal. Quite a few comedians are Arsenal fans who just get. I'm so pleased they're going through the what they call for them. It's a nightmare for them. This is, this is the worst thing that's ever possibly happened to them. But in other seasons, they just get. I remember I've been in the comedy store dressing room when an Arsenal sporting comedian they got to the semi final of the FA Cup and he just went, "Oh fuck me, I've got to go to Wembley again." It's like really, you know what I mean? Well, we, I, I, yeah. I, I really had, don't. Um... Yeah. That game where um, we denied them a top four spot yeah. by getting a draw on yeah. the final day, and Arsenal fans were saying that was the a lot of Arsenal fans said that was the worst day of their lives supporting Arsenal. Yeah. They've missed out on the top four, and you're like, yeah. And I actually seems... feel sorry for fans like that though. So I, do I, I don't I'm... think you can truly experience the joy yeah. of beating Man City in the League Cup without experiencing losing to Walsall at home on Saturday when they had nine men to face the game. It's two men together and that brings more joy. Absolutely. Yeah, and I I got a tattoo off the back of that game. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's true. I mean, I remember at 84-85, we were were 3-1 down at home to Rotherham. So it was was a bleak period. We we, we were getting five or 6,000 people at home. We were 3-1 down at home to Rotherham. We hadn't won an away match for 18 months. And one of my mates said, look, if we get a point out of this, we're all going to Wrexham next week. And you, you kind of secure an analogy that we weren't going to get a point out of it. You go, yeah, great, we're all going to Wrexham. And we did. We came back to draw three all. And I, I think there were probably 120 of us at Wrexham the week after that. And we won 1-0 and it was our first away win. And that that's just the most amazing thing. You know, the, the record books say Palace won 1-0 at Wrexham, but that doesn't explain the, the best train journey home ever on the smallest special, a one-carriage special with 60 of us on the train home who are still boasting about the fact now that we were at Wrexham the first time we beat. You know, it's, it's the same with, with your ground. It's the same as being at the Amex. It's a brilliant ground, but it's even more brilliant because of what you had to go through to get there, basically. Because mm. because I, I did a gig for Brighton fans at the Commedia when they were raising money to, to I think, for the... I can't remember what it was, but it was, it was some sort of survey on the on the ground at Falmer to to, to uh, sort of plan to make sure it was it was feasible. So, and I happily did that. So, and you know, I remember you having to schlep to Jolino. I mean, you know, I've spoken to Kieran McGrath about you know, how terrible it was, even that a tiny little with And then suddenly you're in that new ground, and you deserve to be there because you all went, you all travelled all over the place when you had no option other than to travel all over the place to go and see Brighton play at home 40 miles from, from Brighton. So it makes it it makes it so much better. You see other stadiums when fans have gone from quite nice stadiums to a lovely new stadium. They don't they don't really care. They sort of are a little bit nostalgic about the old place, but they soon adapt to the new place. It's, but you you know you you went through the mincer to get to your to your new ground. So of course it means a low to you. Or West Ham. Well, actually the weird thing is you you find yourself missing with Dean a lot. In a really bizarre really way. Really? <laughs> yeah, no, genuine, like masochistic way. Occasionally, you miss the and, but that, it's actually because the club itself. If you compare the club that was at Withdean to the club that's at the Amex, not yeah. just division wise, but infrastructure, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, turnover, hundreds of people now working for the club. It's a, it's almost two different clubs to that extent and that obviously not the soul of the club but you know the the bits that you can actually see in terms of the infrastructure the turnover the finances everything really it it actually it's but it's that standard football club or football fan kind of nostalgia like we said before we you're you're only really cherry picking a very small number of moments with Dean that were absolutely brilliant yeah of course and you're forgetting all the times you sat there in the rain (laughs) I think you make a really interesting point there as well about how the club has changed because that resonates very much for me as a Palace fan because until five or six years ago, we had a one-man press department. We had Terry Byfield, who'd been at the club for 25 years and everything went through Terry. It was all a bit ramshackle, but it was great because everyone knew Terry was doing his best. 
now we've got a full-blown media team we've got a comms team we've got branding teams we've got marketing teams we've got we've, we've probably got 120 more staff than we had when we first went into the Premier League and and the whole thing becomes more corporate of course it does the longer you stay in the Premier League the more organized Palace gets which is we still get things entirely wrong but at Palace at least are aware that in doing that you're in danger of losing the, the the real fans you're in danger of leaving fans behind so Liverpool a classic example Liverpool's bid for world domination in in their bid to do that they've left people behind it's like I love the fact at Sellers Park that the majority of fans have probably only travelled 20 miles to get there but with Liverpool are so keen the Premier League are so keen to sell Premier League football as this global brand and they forget that the people making the noise that make it the global brand are the people that used to go to the Withdean, are the people that watched Palace when they were in the old third division, are the Liverpool fans that went to Rome 30 years ago. Those people are in danger of getting edged out as Premier League teams get more classy and more sophisticated. Yeah. And I think it's clubs like Brighton and Palace at least are aware of that. We um, are mostly, I mean, you'll probably know Paul Barber, who's our chairman. Yeah, of course. Um, who's, I mean, as a chairman is absolutely brilliant. I mean, he's done... He's done wonders really off the pitch, but he has fallen foul a couple of times as referring to fans as customers. Yes, yeah, which is a very corporate. It's, a, it's not promoted. Yeah, yeah um, but actually, as you know, as Peter Peter's made this point, we've brought up before, which actually, as a cust- you can't describe it as a customer because a customer wouldn't come back when the quality of football drops below. So like if you go to a five nil defeat as a customer, yeah, you would go you would go to a better football club. Yeah, As a customer, customers. Yeah. Everyone would go to our, everyone would go to Man United or Liverpool. Yeah. yeah, there's no there's no logic behind football support. It's not a customer. It is yeah. literally a completely yeah. I mean, I've seen Brighton lose seven one at Huddersfield and still gone at the weekend to see us lose four two at home to Stockport. That's not a customer. You wouldn't <laughs> yeah. have that experience. You go online. That's a lunatic, not... Peter. That's <laughs> what that is. I mean, yeah, I mean, might be on that point though about customer. Maybe it's not the right right term, but actually. Sometimes when I go, when I, I compare it, Kevin, to when we used to go to football in the 70s and into the early 80s, you know, like when you'd get herded by the police, you would get searched, you'd be behind a fence, you couldn't see any of the game. There's a bit about the game now where I feel actually we have a bit more respect for the fans, and I like that bit about it. You don't have to call me a customer, but actually I do like the fact that they, they, there's a bit more respect there in, in that sense of the, of the event on the day. And I think I think Brighton have tried hard to oh, yeah, um, they have. honor their honor honor that that battle. And the fact I think that our chairman and the owner, you know, is a, a long term Brighton fan. I think there still is a sense at the moment that the club has that understanding about the fans and you know, what it and what it took to get our club back. And as yeah. and I get I get Robin's point about um, about with Dean, but I think actually owning your ground so people can't just take it away from you means a lot, even to yeah. the point that, as your book talks about, the fact that we lost, um, you know, you were the first team to beat us at, at um, the Amex. I remember yeah, yeah, distinctly yeah. walking away that night, looking around and going, well, whatever else, we've got a home. You know, we're back. I, I, I fully agree. One of the things about the book is I wanted to acknowledge the past and talk about the past, but without being nostalgic. Because when I tell my son, who's 25, and when I tell his mates some of the stories about going to go. When I tell them stories about being padlocked into specials, you know, when I tell them stories about the random violence that we saw as football fans, when I tell them how bad the experience was and how badly we were treated in terms of facilities and having, you know, grounds without roofs and all that, I would, I would never, I don't yearn for those days. We still laugh about them. I don't yearn for them. I think, I think attending football now is a much, much better experience. Mm. But having said that, there was something about not camaraderie is the right word, but what you have to remember is that we were young in those days. That's why it was brilliant. The reason we're nostalgic for it is because we were we were 30, 40 years younger and much better looking. Do you know, that's 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 what it is. So you're always going to have those memories of your first formative years as a football fan. But no, I wouldn't go back to those to those times. And it's still that's why it still comes as a shock every now and again when you get the odd police force who still have robust attitudes towards football fans and it's so few and far between but honestly my my sons you tell my son some of the things that, that happened to football fans the west midlands police in particular were just vile they were just awful you, you, and you knew the grounds in particular coventry villa 
um, further north, Sheffield United, Leeds, you knew you were going to be in trouble at those places. Not from the from the fans, but from the from the old bill. You knew you knew what was going to happen. I remember at Cardiff when the police escort just announced they didn't, they didn't just melt away. They announced that they were disappearing, basically, and in do, in so doing, on the megaphones alerted every single fucking Cardiff fan within five miles of the ground that they were disappearing as well. So it was, it was carnage. So I would, I would never go back to those days, but I, I think there's a balance between, as I don't like the word customers and Simon Jordan made that mistake all the time. Simon Jordan never understood that you can't run football like you can run a mobile phone company. And I think some, some club owners understand that football is a unique business and some don't. And I think it's the ones that don't that have, that have the problems and Palace's trouble is that we Steve tries with Steve Paris tries really hard to do the right thing but you just can't please every single football fan you just can't it's like for the for the game against Tottenham Steve Paris did what I thought was the right thing and instead of having a ballot he went for the the 2000 Palace fans with the, who had the most points which I think was right so yeah I mean Palace fans have been away that is but but then of course a... but then the pro- the trouble was that some of those people who their kids didn't have quite as many points for the for the ticket as well so you had blokes going on their own moaning because normally they, they go to every game with their three kids and then you had the people who didn't quite have enough but so there's always someone who's going to be unhappy but I thought I thought that was the right thing to do but for, you, you, football fans are never content I mean it's it's, no. it's part of the fun really you can never second guess what's going to annoy a football fan but I, we do I, I'm proud of the fact that Steve Parrish does at least try to do the right thing and the trouble is for most football fans there isn't always a right thing to do essentially no, you're exactly right. The day that I'm completely happy about everything in football is the day that I walk away from it. Yeah, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's part of the fun, isn't it? If you are yeah. Yeah. Brighton fans, probably the best way to have run that ball- the ballot for our home game against Southampton. You've yeah. probably have got 10 different answers, depending yeah, on. Uh, so nine people are going to be unhappy if whatever you do, probably out yeah, well, also, exactly as you said about losing 7 1 to Huddersfield, I've had that conversation so many times, leaving Sellers Park, leaving away games, going, that's it. I'm never, that's, I'm never going to see them again. Ever. All right, see you next week? Yeah, all right, see you next week. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, I'm tearing up my season ticket now. I'm, def- I'm going to do it. I'm definitely doing it. All right, I'll do it next week. It's, but that's part of the... It's part of the joy. And that's why I say I really... I, 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 Arsenal fans and Chelsea fans and Man City fans and Man United fans who have known nothing but 8 out of 10, they don't get the joy that we get when, you, when you've had... Two out of ten, three out of ten for a long time, and then yeah. Then and what what illustrated it to me was we obviously we got to the FA Cup semi final a couple of years ago against Man City, and obviously we'd not been to Wembley as a club. We'd not been to the new Wembley, and we hadn't been to Wembley as a club since ninety one. Was it Peter? I think it was yeah, before that, wasn't it for the playoffs? Yeah. And obviously we turned up expecting to get thrashed on the day, and actually, but it, you, and the atmosphere amongst Brighton fans was brilliant because obviously we hadn't been to the ground you know, for 30 odd years. Yeah. And you got, it was, City fans were just bewildered that, that we were basically, we were having a party, but we'd lost. And you sort of, you, you, like, you don't get it. Well, also, like, the football's if... almost sort of, you know, the result of the game on those occasions is actually almost secondary. It, it, and a lot some... of the big clubs, they should be the one who gets it because they've had the most recent experience of struggling. Yeah, and they just didn't. It was really bizarre, I have to say. It was a really you, you bizarre experience. Time. You took the words out of my mouth because that's the one thing the 2016 FA Cup final, final, I might add, not semi final. Um, <laughs> the, one, the one consolation is on the way on the way there, none of us expected to win, none because that's not the Palace fans' mentality. But the one thing we, we said, right, okay, what well, we will do, we'll out sing them, we'll, we'll out party them, we'll enjoy our day. But also, the, 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 as you say, Peter, about Man City fans, because I, I know a lot of Man City fans, and all of them, all of them to a man, woman, and child, not child, child or something. But all of them to a man and woman say their best game ever was the FA, the, the Gillingham playoff game when they were yeah, two runs down with two minutes to go. And they, they, they yeah. all of them say, yeah, Champions League is what it is, blah, blah, blah. And yet they get to Wembley and they're still so entitled now. They've become so entitled. Yet they, within living memory, were a team that were really struggling. And, yes, it's uh, not like it was 30, 50 years ago. Most no, of their fans would have been through that. Yeah. Yeah. And they still love Sean Gota and they still love Paul Dickov. Yeah. And and yet they they will just sit on their hands during the FA Cup. Winning enough trophies, they have been to a lot of FA Cup and League Cup finals. Maybe just Maybe get bored yes. of it after a while. Yeah, I don't think I don't think. I can't either, imagine myself doing that. I don't, I don't think either of our clubs are anywhere near that situation for quite some time yet. To be perfectly honest. Yeah, I've got a couple of City mates, and they're exactly the same. Their their favourite uh, moment was definitely that Gillingham game, yeah. and they are for a club of their size. They are a pretty big club if you take out what's going on now. 
they're a pretty big club to have that sense of grounded yeah. nature. So it is a shame. It really is a shame if they're starting to lose it of all clubs. And in a way, but, does that take away the point of being a football fan in a way? Mm. If this, if you don't enjoy that sort of success, what is the point of going? If you don't really kind of love those big days, where what are you enjoying? What are, the you point know? of going is that you get to moan when it goes really yeah, badly. Yeah, that's well, the point I, of going. I suppose as well, they're not big days for them anymore. They, what they would consider a big yeah. day is a Champions League final. That would be... Yeah, you know, they would probably play Bayern Munich with the same sort of inferiority complex that we would play Man City. They'd probably go and play Bayern Munich and go, right, let's outsing them. We might not beat them, sort of thing. You know, so. Yeah. Well, Kevin, you managed to get in and making it to an FA Cup final clip in there. Unfortunately, a couple of my uh, friends here have already spoiled some of the other possible funds we had. The 5 0 and the uh, first defeat at the Amex have already been mentioned. Um, yeah. But I'm sure we've had plenty of fun through the years, both of us, in terms of the rivalry. When, when did you first feel that as a as a fan? Because I understand, chatting off here, you'd been at the game that is generally billed as where it really all started. Do you know, I've spoken to a couple of older Palace fans, like properly old Palace fans in their, in their 90s. Um, and and there's, a, there's one chap in particular who said, oh, back in the day in the 30s, there was a rivalry between two gangs, one in Croydon and one in Brighton. So there was always a bit of, and I've, I've not been able to find anybody else who agrees with that or can stand it up. And I think we probably, I think we were probably the two clubs in the, the old third division South longest. And we played each other a long time and there was no hint of any rivalry until that night in 1976, when I was, I was at that game, the, the second replay in the second round of the FA Cup, I think, because that or earlier that year we'd got to the semi-final of the FA Cup. So of course we were, we were Charlie Big Bollocks. We thought we own the FA Cup now. It's like we thought it was at least a semi-final <laughs> now for it. Um, and I remember that night at Stamford Bridge. It was a terrible, terrible, terrible rainy night. Um, and I, know, I, I remember, and I'm seeing like a two-minute highlight. You, you were definitely the better team, and. Ron Chalice, I think, was the referee, and it was it was a it was a, just a bad tempered, horrible night at a neutral ground. And then, of course, there was the the incident at the end where Alan Mullery uh, came onto the pitch and threw coins in the general direction of Palace fans, none of whom, none of us knew what he was doing. We had no idea what was going on. And then he tore up a five pound note in the press conference afterwards and said, "I wouldn't give you that for Palace fans." And then, I, I don't think I think that's where it would have ended, were it not for the fact that we went on that three-year period where we just got promoted together um, and ended up in the first division. So by, that was in 1976. And by 1979, it was a proper, proper fierce rivalry. I mean, it proper, I mean, I've, neither team have got a reputation for, for violence. Neither team have got a hooligan element in, in particular, but some of the trouble that, that open spaces behind the Withdean, behind the Goldstone, and at the back of the White Horse, some of the trouble at Palace Brighton games was awful. And I know that's later on because fans of other London clubs used to turn up looking for a, a terror. But it got very intense very quickly. And and to be perfectly honest, though, I don't think it the I think the intensity faded a little. The first the first 10 years of that rivalry was was bitter. But I don't think it's ever stayed at that high. It's still a proper, don't get me wrong, it's a proper derby, and you are still to the amusement of Millwall fans and Charlton fans and just about every pundit on Five Live or TalkSport to whom I keep having to explain it, <laughs> keep having to say, please don't call it the M23 derby. They still don't get it. But it is for us, it's still, it is still the, big, the big one. It's still the big rivalry. But there isn't that intensity. And I think partly, and I don't mean this as a dig, I think it's partly it's because we spent a lot of seasons, a lot of divisions apart basically. But also, I think the Steve Koppel factor as well. I think once Steve was your manager as well, it, it became quite difficult because we, Steve Koppel, if there's ever going to be a statue, at, it, it, it will disappoint Ian Wright. But if there's, if there's ever a statue at Sellers Park, it should be to Steve Koppel, who in his various times at the club just probably saved us and is the archetypal football gentleman. And the fact that he managed you for a while took the, the, the edge off it a bit. And it's I think there's a certain irony has developed with, between Palace and Brighton fans. Like we know, we know you don't have to tell us. Like Leeds fans, Chelsea fans don't have to tell us it's a bizarre rivalry. We know, we're aware of that. You know, we we know it's odd that Alan Mullery and I met Alan Mullery once, and to his eternal credit, he said, "Mate, I'll shake your hand, but we're not going to get on." 
I've read most of the things you said about me. I listen to the radio, so I think let's just leave it at that. It's like fine, you know. And I, I remember at, at Tottenham in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup in 2016 when some bright spark at BT Sport obviously went. Well, Alan Mullery played for Tottenham and he managed Palace, so why don't we get him on the touchline at half time? Um, Six thousand Palace fans couldn't believe their luck as an elderly Alan Mullery was led closer and closer towards them. And then after two minutes of vicious abuse was led as far away as possible. So we, but we, we know it's a bizarre rivalry and we kind of revel in that a little. From my point of view, I, I sort of revel in it a little bit. I love yeah. the fact that it's a bizarre rivalry, but it's, it's not, I don't, I don't hate Brighton fans any more than I hate. I want you to lose every game you play. Obviously, of course I do. Uh, and I was really conflicted. One of my dearest friends is a Hereford fan. And it just so happened that my wife's dad is a Methodist minister. He's his last circuit was in Hereford. So I happened to be in Hereford the day you played Hereford in that in that winner take all game. And I was really conflicted because I I kept explaining to my mate as a Hereford fan. Of course I want you to win this game. Of course I do. But at the same time, you can't have a rivalry with a team that's not in the league. It's embarrassing. So I actually was quite pleased, and I actually want. I don't want you in the Premier League. I want you in the Championship, basically. I always think that morally you should always be one division below us is what I think. But the fact that you're in the Premier League is great because I, I love Palace-Brighton games. And I can't wait. I can't wait till we get fans back in more full stop. But I can't wait till we can go and see Palace-Brighton games. But it hasn't got that. I mean, as you said earlier, Peter was talking about people talking about the Leeds-Man United thing. Leeds-Man United, there's a real vicious hatred there. You know, Liverpool, Man United, there's a real vicious hatred that goes back to the Industrial Revolution. Newcastle, Sunderland, it goes back to the Civil War. Portsmouth, Southampton fans, we haven't got that hatred. But I think there's something about Palace and Brighton fans that we all think it's the best rivalry in football, partly for the reason that nobody else gets it. They just don't understand it. They just leave us to it for the most part. And even, even pundits and commentators, they don't really take it seriously. They have a little... They have a little laugh in their voice. Like Jonathan Pierce knows because he knows both clubs, but most people don't get it. And I like that. I, I, as a Palace fan, I like the fact that we've got one of the weirdest rivalries, not only in English football, but in, in world football. And I, I think it's, I'm quite happy to get on with it and to take the piss out of each other and to want each club to lose every game. But without ever, yeah, I wouldn't, if I didn't like Bright, I wouldn't go on his pod. I've been doing the pod with Kieran for a year. And I found it really odd that I did the pod with Kieran. And it was only after four weeks that the producer said, guys, uh, uh, Kieran's a, a Brighton fan. And that made me laugh because obviously I said, well, it's a good job you didn't tell me at the start so I wouldn't have done it. But of course I would. If, he, if they'd said to me before, oh, by the way, Kieran supports Brighton, I would have taken the piss out of him and he would have taken the piss out of me. But I wouldn't have not done the pod because he was a Brighton fan. It's just, it's not that, it's not that sort of rivalry. And again, as we said earlier, if you, if you really like football, as Robbie was saying, if you really like football, you get on with somebody who really likes football, whether or not, they support a team you love or you hate. So it, it is, for me, the bizarrest rather. And the, the fact that Ron Nose decided to make Alan Mullery the Palace manager when he took over after he, when And Alan Mullery, we talked about this when I was with him. He's, he's, Alan Mullery was booed on at his first Palace game. We booed our own manager on. And he, was, and he was booed off. And he was booed on at every game. And, and he's like, that's the level. But it was comedy. But it's like, it's comedy. It's pantomime, isn't it? It's, it's, it's exactly what it is. It's pantomime. <laughs> and the fact is that under Alan Mullery, our average home gate went from 14,000 to 5,000. But that, and that's that excellent. That's partly because we didn't like him. It's partly because he, he inherited a shit team. And it's also our home gate went down from 27,000 to 15,000 because that team of the 80s turned out to be a terrible relegation disaster. So we lost a lot of fans anyway, but it was proper pantomime stuff. And that's, I think that describes our rivalry Absolutely. better than anything else, really. There's no real hatred out, but I, I love it. I, I, really, <coughs> I really enjoy it. I really get a lot of energy. I think that I suppose the serious bit in recent times is is the charity element, isn't it, with the REMF in the last twenty years? There's, there's I mean, you no, wouldn't get that for a lot of a lot of clubs. Even they've raised what I think about a quarter of a million quid I, now. I think I, I I don't think there's any doubt, Robin, that that's that's the case. And and as well, when three days in two thousand and ten, when it looked like we were going to go out of business, and it really did look like we were going to go out of business, and we had a demonstration march from Sellers through Croydon, it's about six thousand Palace fans and Brighton fans came down as well and marched with us in, in solidarity. We had a coffin 
and Brighton fans help carry that coffee. And it's and when when push comes to shove, all football fans know that football is more important than club it's rivalry. Similarly, there are Palace fans at Fans United in '97 when Brighton uh, were uh, again on yeah. the verge of not. Uh, abs- 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 absolutely, and the, the, yeah. there's no doubt that the Remf the Remf thing as well, Robin, really does make a, a difference to the extent, of course, that. Yeah, I don't think it was quite right that we played Andy Johnson as a ringer in one of the games. <laughs> but I, it was still funny. Okay. Because, but it's, and that's essentially what will happen with that game. In five years' time, it's going to be all ex-Palace and Brighton players because yeah. we, we want to win it so much, basically. But it has made a difference, without a doubt, to the to the to the relationship between the two the two sets of fans. And for me, that's what makes it that's what makes it the best rivalry because it isn't life or death because it... yeah. And actually there's, there's now, but there's been, and the money, ben, you know, there's a lot of projects in Croydon that have benefited. Yeah. There's projects in Brighton that have benefited New York, yeah, Africa, yeah. you and, know, it's and, like, it shows football gets a bad yeah. press a lot of the time, doesn't it? But this is actually, this is materially making a difference for disadvantaged yeah. and, kids and, all absolutely. over the world. And, and also Glenn Murray's thrown a bit of a curveball because you've, yeah, got two, has, you've, yeah. got, you've got two sets of fans now who generally don't know whether he's a legend or not. He was a hundred percent legend at one time. I, I think you'll yeah. find very few Brighton fans these days that don't think Glenn Murray's a legend. I think. Oh, uh, brilliant. Okay. When well, he came back, I think there was there were, there was quite divided, but. I mean, I, I always felt we shouldn't have let him go, probably, and it was the, the wrong yeah, thing to do. Well, but I go, I go as far as to say he's our greatest ever player. Well, have, yeah. I don't, have you ever, have you ever met him? Yes, I have. Uh, Damien Delaney once said to me, "It's the best description I've ever heard." He said, "For some people, the glass is half full; for some, it's half empty. For Glenn, it's smashed and it's heading towards your face." Uh, he's, <laughs> the, the most, he's the most pessimistic man I've ever met. But I, I remember the first time I met him, and. I made him up because he, he, he said, hello, I'm Glenn. I said, mate, do you mind if I call you FFS just for the for the time being? <laughs> and he was really pleased because that's what we all, for us, he's FFS as far as, as far as we're concerned. And he, he really liked it. It had to be explained to him, but he really liked that, basically. But again, he's one of those players that out, outside of football, he would appear to be a journeyman. You know what I mean? If you looked at Glenn Murray's record, Non-Palace fans, non-Brighton fans. Yeah, I know Watford fans were thinking, why have we got Glenn Murray? But it's like Troy Deeney. I'd, I'd buy him. I'd, if I was a Tottenham manager, I'd get Glenn Murray and Troy Deeney. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, but if, he, if you're a Palace or Brighton fan, Glenn Murray, who's this lad from Carlisle, whose career's been fairly indistinguished, and, and in 10 years' time, when you look at it on paper, it will look like a fairly indistinguished career. But for two sets of football fans... He just lit up that one season in the championship when he scored nearly thirty goals. He was unstoppable. He was unplayable. He was, he was, he was brilliant. Proper old-fashioned centre forward. I've never seen a player who can get a free kick for you better than Glenn Murray when you're under. Pressure. Yeah, we we always laugh that when he's yeah. like back to back to goal in in uh, in the opposition half, it's yeah. text, but like you can count yeah. down. You go five, four, three, <laughs> two, one. <laughs> <in the> deck, <laughs> free kick. Yes, like you can, and you can see great. it coming from miles but that's, away. But that's good. My favourite Glenn Murray moment was when we were playing. I think it was Arsenal in the Premier League first season. I knew this was coming. Like he's about yeah, to go through on goal and. Rather than go through on goal and try and shoot, he worked out he wasn't going to outpace the defenders. So he just turned around and held the ball up and, and went back <laughs> to one of our players. But, but I love that. When you see when you're brought up, when, when every single pundit says, "Yeah, you've you've got it's got to be 18 passes before a goal's a good goal." When every single pundit, when yeah, when Man City are rightly hailed, there's, there are other ways of playing football, and and sometimes for all that we moan about Roy Hodgson's football, sometimes the pragmatic ways. It annoys other people, but sometimes you want a player like Glenn Murray, who will get you a free kick out of nowhere. You want a player like Glenn Murray who will just have a look at the two central defenders that are even taller than he is, and still decide he's going to jump up and try and win the ball. You'll have a look at. You want a player that's going to come off every third game with a black eye and a tooth out, because it's it's there's something refreshingly old fashioned about, it. and it's also it kind of reminds you of the the footballer that you would have been on at the the Sunday football. Yeah, we've all played Sunday yeah. football with somebody like that, and Glenn. And also, he's somebody who just wants to play football. You know, for him, playing at Brighton and playing at Palace was was high level football. And for him to get a chance, like Damien Delaney was very similar. For Damien Delaney to get a chance to play in the Premier League and flourish was absolutely fantastic because we all knew his backstory. We all knew what he'd gone through in life and in football to get a season and a half in the Premier League. And and fans love players like that. They relate to players like that. Really good seasons for us in the Premier League, or certainly a season and a half, and then lost his way. But even yeah. last season, he, he made only very few starts for us, but uh, his last start for us was at West Ham. And even then, he completely dominated defence, even yeah. having not played all season, really. He yeah. kind of was all over their defensive. They couldn't deal with him. And 
Yeah, I'd what, have, I'd still, I'd have him on, I'd have him on our bench ahead of Connolly. Yeah. Now. You took your different type you know, of player. I mean, I think the other thing, the other thing about him is he represents that dream, doesn't he? That you can start in the lower leagues, even yeah. non-league, yeah. Yeah. and you can get to the top, and you actually, you can make, and you can look good at the top division. You know. That, well, I mean. I mean that's, that, yeah. that, that's what he's all about, really. Yeah, yeah, the I interesting agree. thing is, Peter referenced that game, the Walsall nine-man game with Dean years ago. Glenn Murray started in that game. Did he? Yeah. Wow. That's brilliant. To actually show us the kind of yeah. the illustrative moment of it, he played he in that game, which a lot of people would say is our worst, you know. Yeah, well. So he's, he's been scored, there. He's did he been score there against Man City as well? Yeah, game? scored against Man yeah. City in that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Walsall, so, that, yeah, that was terrible. I mean, we, yeah, we so for the one for... for an hour and we still lost 1-0. Yeah, and that was the game. So I said I got a tattoo off the back of that. Um, <laughs> and that was the game we were sitting there. And I was sitting there with my friend Alex. And it was dreadful. You're like the bottom end of League One, losing nine, at home to nine-man Walsall. It was probably raining because generally was at Withdean. And it was, all, like, it was one of those games where you just go... Why it really makes you question to like the depths yes. of your soul. Yeah. Why no do, why do we do this? So I, um, I have to, I have to ask then, uh, Robin, what's the tattoo? Well, I, I, it's so Alex and I basically said, if we ever get to the Premier League, which we're yeah. never going to based on this, we'll get a tattoo. Nice one. And Alex died, unfortunately, oh. um, before we got to the Premier League. So I had that awkward thing of basically deciding whether he would have followed through with the bet or not. Um, and I basically couldn't not follow through with the bet. So, yeah, I have a seagull on my uh, forearm. Oh, oh, see, um, oh, oh. Yeah. So <laughs> but it was, it's a bit bizarre. So, but that's a kind of football thing where you go, it was born off the fact that we were absolutely terrible, but it came to fruition off the back that we became fairly good for a small period of time but, but, but what's what's poignant about that if you don't mind me saying so to somebody who i've known for an hour is that everyone's got an alex everyone in football's yeah. got an alex everyone's got an empty chair everyone's got a game where you go oh he would have loved that john would have loved it Do you know what i mean it's like or, or when you beat a team you know a, a mate of mine who hated gary mabbott he just for some, just hated gary mabbott as he thought gary mabbott got away with murder because he was diabetic he thought referees didn't didn't give him yellow cards. So it, whenever we beat Tottenham, you go, yeah, he would have loved that. It's like and it's, that's a brilliant, that's a brilliant story. And it, it, of course, he would have followed. I don't know him, but yeah, exactly, he would, he, would he would have done. No, that's the thing. I had I had a te- about a ten second kind of internal, yeah. you know, debate as to whether we've gone. And I went, yeah, actually, we of course he like of course he would have done. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah I had to, but I had it done in Newcastle, which is a bit bizarre. Going into a tattoo shop in Newcastle and going, can I get a Brian tattoo <laughs> but the um, the weird thing is is i went in um i went in with a friend of mine who um, some of the other guys know on this um who's he's a geordie but he's a brighton fan really which it's one of the most bizarre stories no. yeah um so he he is born he is literally he's born and bred in newcastle he's never lived anywhere else he's you know proper geordie uh and when he first got into football age kind of four or five he just liked the name brighton basically when he used to hear them on the hear them on the results um and is bizarrely the first game that his dad ever took him to at st james's park was brighton that was it he's he's been a brighton fan for you know 40 odd years since then so anyway he went in on the same day as me to the tattoo parlor to get a brighton tattoo as well tattoos is like what is going on yeah what world what world am i living in that could only anyway. be better if, if if Chris Packham had gone in to get a seagull tattoo. Just, <laughs> just by coincidence, that would have been better. But it's just but a yeah, shame. It was a it's, not, day. it's just a shame it's not a nicer bird, really, is it? It's just, uh, just well, yeah, exactly. All that yeah. chip stealing rat you've got on your badge—it's just terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's yeah, I, mean, it's, I mean, I love that it shows story. You the bonkers things about but, you know football. Is... I mean, what are the odds? If you put that in a sitcom, if you wrote a sitcom and there's a scene in a Newcastle tattoo parlour where, by coincidence, two Brighton fans walked in. The director or the script editor go, no, this is that's just too yeah, stupid. It's just it's bonkers, not going to happen. Just, just cut this out. And, and the fact that that that, that Geordie, what poor sod! Imagine growing up in Newcastle having to explain to his mates why it's, why he's a Brighton fan. But I, and, but he has to explain yeah. to absolutely everybody. Um, of course, of you know, course. Like, but it's a for, story. <laughs> Fifty yeah. years, for forty years, basically, and everyone yeah. goes, "No, you're not." The, the two things that people assume is people go. The natural assumption would be to go either he's 
from Brighton and he can do a really good Geordie accent. Yeah, or his parents. That would be the first. That would be your first assumption. But then, if you if you're not, you have to go. Is this guy just? Well, maybe his dad. You think maybe his dad was a Brighton? Yeah, maybe. When you go right, so you go. Well, you must have lived in Brighton. No. You must have gone to university in Brighton. No. no. You must have some kind of family connection to Brighton. No. You must have worked in Brighton. No. So where do you live? Newcastle. Have you always Switches lived there? It. Yeah. yeah. This <laughs> is the thing. It's, it's, it's the strangest reasons people and, support sometimes. There's a couple but he's of the lovely, examples like, he's I've a, got. The bizarre so thing is, is that he... Yeah, no, Brighton is... Not, he's, but he, his, um, he ended up working in, um, in football finance kind of professionally. Um, so he's actually ended up, he knows the kind of the guy, he knows Tony Bloom and, you know, a lot of the guys that run the oh, club right. as well. And, and they, um, it's obviously amusing for them. So often they'll be like, he'll be in a boardroom somewhere and he'll be chatting to someone and then they'll be like, Brian, Brian, come and tell them your story. And he'll get dragged <laughs> over to like, what do you want? Tell, hey. <laughs> yeah. You're like to tell them the, you know, the, yeah, basically. The thing. And he, I mean, goes, anyway. he goes to games as well. He goes, yeah, he goes to games. Yeah. Really? Um, which is obviously yeah. it's we go to, we tend to go to northern kind of yeah, more of course, northern away course. games. Yeah, games. Yeah. yeah, he goes down quite a lot, but yeah, really? it is a kind of um, yeah. He must have had to, he's told that story obviously to you know basically everyone that he's yeah. ever met. I imagine. So yeah. anyway, get, I imagine it gets better say, every time. <laughs> it, it's strange why you support clubs. There's a couple of stories I've got, and there's a guy who I, I knew called Jimmy who was from Suffolk, and he was in the middle of nowhere. He was literally you had to get a lift to the bus stop. It was that far in the in the countryside. And he was a Brighton fan. And I, I said to him, how come you're a Brighton fan? Are you, you know, dad from there or something? No, apparently he just wandered past. Um, he went to a game randomly without having any particular interest in football. And it was Ipswich Brighton. He was just impressed with the way the, the away fans were, decided to become a fan. And when he eventually got to a game, he had to get a lift to the bus stop. He had to get a bus to the station, a wow. station to another. Oh, and wow. he, he actually had to stay overnight because he couldn't get back in time the same day on a three o'clock kickoff. It's crazy. Wow. That's brilliant. And the other, the other one is a guy I know. Is, I think his name's Paul, who's who is from Brighton, but he moved to Leeds, and his son is a Brighton fan with a Leeds accent, who was born and brought up in really? Leeds. That must have been fun as well. Oh, wow, bizarre! Yeah. Yeah. At least he's got reason. It was enough but... fun being living in Brighton growing up, and you know, not and yeah. supporting Brighton was quite odd around Arsenal and Tottenham, and yeah, like, even yeah, yeah supporting yeah, Brighton yeah, in Brighton was quite bizarre. Yeah, yeah, when, yeah, I, when I was growing up, Brighton were below Barnet in the league, and I used to have piss taken out of me by Barnet fans. I mean, that oh was how we were at that point. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, quite weird in my second club as well, but I don't like big... That's pretty, like, that is yeah, pretty yeah. grim. You thought honest. you yeah. got it back, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, piss taken out of Barnet fans. Yeah, to be fair, they are my second club, but yeah, I still kind of, was still kind of got annoyed when we only lose three nils to them, for example, when when I was at school, I was kind of like, got the piss taken out of your school by yeah, kids. Yeah, that is grim. And then Barnet is their second club. Oh, my Lord. We've really just, just as around, much as we can, so luckily, now. Just to round off the first half then, I just quickly want to go to, back to Andy with a, a couple of bits. I mean, you mentioned that you were at that game where the rivalry started, so I want to get your views on that. And also, I think you had a couple of questions, uh, both from yourself and from friends of yours behind enemy nines who you know <laughs> uh, wanted to ask kevin a couple of things so do you want to well, go ahead with that yeah, well, I, well i guess the first thing i'd say is that um you know my um, nine-year-old boy and my um six-year-old they're obviously brighton fans living in palace country so um you know they turn up for their football practice with their brighton kits on so that you know they get a lot of support <laughs> from the millwall fans and their dads <laughs> but, um you know so they're having to struggle with that to the point where me and my um my son have already come up with a cover story about someone else he can um he can support you know just to keep the um palace off his back so yeah so yeah i was um i was saying off air wasn't i to kevin and i must have been stalking him because i think that's one of the other things about about football is like you know we don't know each other we might never talk to each other again but actually there were certain games we were both there, even at different ends but the yeah. thing, what i remember about chelsea i mean i was only that game at being at chelsea i think i was about nine at the time I remember that really, what felt like at the time, a really massive stand that Chelsea had on one side. Huge, yeah. I was sitting in there looking down at the game. I remember, I don't tend to bother with referees, but yeah, Chalice is always going to stick in my mind. Yeah. Um, and I remember we, I'm, I'm pretty confident that, it might have even been Piper actually, we scored a penalty yeah. And he made us retake it. Yeah, he did. Because it was a Palace player in the box. In the box, yeah. Because oh, there was a, there was I a fam- I closed my eyes a second time. Yeah. And um, people were cheering behind me. Oh, I didn't think we'd score. And actually, it was a couple of bloody Palace fans. So that, oh, wasn't, really? that wasn't really great. Yeah, so- <laughs> well, I, I remember there were, there were two photos in the papers the next day. The one was the, 
the like the skid mark where the tackle had taken place, which is about two yards outside the box where he gave the penalty. And then there was a photograph of the Palace player in the box that he gave the made them retake the penalty for. I didn't think it was a Brighton fan, but I mean, talking to refs, I think we were both at the the five penalty game as well in in yeah. nineteen eighty nine. Which I, I I thought for the first time I'd do I'd be as I don't do any research for my own pod, so I thought I'd do a little bit for this. So I I wanted to to, to check uh, who took our penalties, and I hadn't realized all all five penalties were within half an hour of each other. Yeah. In the last twelve minutes of the first half, and the and the first fifteen minutes of the of the second half, so it's still a record, isn't it, Kevin? It's, it is a record. I I, I just remember because it was Easter Monday and it was baking hot, and I just remember the, the disbelief, the laughter when the like the fifth penalty was given. It's just it just and he basically you just spent. It's like when we lost nine 0 to Liverpool, you kind of basically go might as well be ten, you might as well be eleven. It's the same with that penalty game. You just spent the rest of the game praying that he would give more penalties. Can you imagine with VAR though how long that game would have lasted? It's, 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 it's had not occurred to me, Peter, as well. And, and I think in my memory, three of them were definitely wrong. As, as I, I, yeah, I mean, I, 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 mean, so I, I remember because I remember at the time it was really odd because he he backpedalled about fifty yards after giving each penalty. And he explained afterwards that the guided sat season was for referees to to move away as quickly as possible. And then if if the opposition team followed him, then you could book them because they clearly weren't just losing their temper on the heat the heat the moat. If they if they followed him to have a go at him. So by that logic, he should have booked most of your team because I think the second or third one they were just completely yeah. infuriated. And also, but the fact is we I mean we missed four of them, which is just <laughs> we missed three, didn't we? You scored, yeah. we scored one, you scored, you scored. I mean, I- I mean, like you say, you memories, you off, can go, memories can go a little bit hazy, but I'm pretty confident that day Brighton fans were actually in the Homestow end. Yeah, they were, yeah. And, um, Is that right? And I, yeah, yeah we were I'm pretty confident we were in the Homestow end. And it got oh, to yeah, the you point... Oh, yeah, you were in the corner, of course, yeah, yeah. And it, and, it, and it got to the point where it was comedy, basically. Like, yeah, the, the, yeah. kind of run into the box with the ball, it'd fall over, and in the end, the Brighton fans were going, penalty! And the referee's <laughs> blowing to the spot. I was, it was unbelievable. Well, I can't, I can't remember who I'd, four, I'd but... forgot, but, um, yeah, yeah, I think you had you had four and you scored one. We scored our penalty, but the yeah. bit I think I'd forgot, probably because it suited me at the time, was, and I've seen it lately, I think Ian Wright scores a, scores a, like a 20, 25 yarder that day. He, he, he said it was his best goal ever. His, yeah, his, absolutely, from... and I can't even remember that, but well, it, it was I from the walking most... away just thinking, oh, that's just one of the most bizarre games of football. It, it was really from it, it was the angle he scored it at. It was almost on the on the goal line when he he scored it. It was a really acute angle. I, I remember talking to Eddie McGoldrick about this game a couple of years back. He said it was his. He said it's the only. I can't remember who your right back would have been, but uh, McGoldrick said it's, it's. He said it's one of the, the only games that he's ever realised within a minute that he had the fullback on because he was never that fast, Eddie. Well, I think yeah. I think three of the penalties. One was handball, definitely, but I think three of them were for fouls on. On the Goldrick, and he, but he just said as players, it was the most ludicrous thing because he said it got to that stage where the Palace and Brighton fans play were just players were just saying we're just going to get more penalties every time we go. And then of course the referee stopped doing anything because then the last twenty minutes was quite a physical kicking match, and the referee had obviously decided he had enough at that stage and didn't give anything for the last twenty minutes, which is a weird. But it's one of those games where you think I'm walking away. You think, hey, I'm glad we won, but. You think that's that's going to be talked about for some time that game? Yeah, yeah. just the amount of penalties. But again, finished, uh... because I don't think it was even on. on we won two one. I don't think it was even on on telly. Because again, because because three one wasn't it three one? No, it's two one. I think. Yeah, we, oh, was it? You knew, yeah, because oh, you nearly scored right at the end. Because we were hmm. we were pushing for the players. Again, it's that strange thing where my favourite ever goal was a, a goal Jim Cannon scored when we went top of the old Division One in nineteen eighty against Ipswich. But there's no film of it. And like my son can't get his head around the fact that there was a time when the only place you could see goals again was in your head. Like he can't believe yeah. there are goals that he can't look up on YouTube. That, that There's a goal that Barry Silkman scored against Hereford. A brilliant goal. But I, I've never seen it again because there are no cameras. And it's like that 5-4 game now, that would have been, they would have showed the whole lot twice yeah. that evening. BBC would probably would have showed it again. It would have been all over every news media, all over the world. There would have been highlights. We've got, I think, for us, our, our, our one is the, is the Gary Nelson goal at Brentford, which we were talking about. I think it was off air earlier yeah, on, yeah. Um, which was an amazing goal. Uh, really was. But unfortunately, no cameras were there, it's so you can't yeah. see it. But, but going back to the, to the Palace game where you beat us with all the pens, 
there's a few memories of that one. I mean, first of all, you're talking about, uh, unfortunately, friends that were lost. I had a friend called Phil I used to go to when I was a teenager. I used to go to games with, and uh, he was at the game with me for that one. I remember it distinctly. It was in the Holmesdale, uh, in the corner by the Arthur. Was it, it yeah, called yeah. the Arthur Wake back then? I don't know. If yeah, it's still, still called, called the Arthur Wake now. It's yeah. still a disgrace. It's still, nothing's been yeah. done on it. <laughs> Dreadful. Yeah, the view is yeah. terrible. But, yeah. but I remember being in that terrace, and apart from everything that Andy's described, you know, just sarcastic kind of laughing it off thing about the pens. I remember there was this incident where a Palace fan was at the top of the stairs in the Arthur Waite and he was giving it the old, uh, you know, gestures. He was doing all absolutely everything you can imagine. And we're all giving it back to him. And gradually you just see this black peak come into view that eventually manifested <laughs> itself into a police helmet. And it was in slow, it seemed like it was in slow motion. He sort of started coming up behind the bloke and we're all building ourselves up to, yeah, we got nicked and taken away. It's brilliant. And I remember... I- Walking yeah. out the ground, you're talking about trouble, and we there was loads of trouble that game. I remember walking with Phil, and we were saying, "Oh, it's unusual. We haven't seen any trouble." And I just glanced between some houses as we were walking along, and there's this massive rock going on yeah, <laughs> in the yeah. next street. I thought, "Oh, okay, well, maybe it's, there is." Yeah. It, it, it's it's strange for us at games like that because, of course, we know every inch and nook and cranny of Sellers Park. So the way we come out of the ground, we're we're in our you you couldn't find our pub unless you knew it was there. It's it's. It's like a Harry Potter pub. It's like you have to press on a tile, and then suddenly it appears. So there's never there's never any away fans, and so but so we're back in our pub within four minutes. So half the time, right. we any trouble there's ever been at Palace, which is very rare, we don't see it because we cut down a little side road, and then we go round the back, mm-hmm. and we're, we're in the pub, and we we're able to miss all this out. But I, I, I don't think there's anything funnier at a football ground than the whole ground knowing someone's about to get nicked, except for the person who's about to get nicked. <laughs> Someone's giving it large, and normally it's a really overweight bloke with no top on who's giving it large. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. It's like it's like at school when you, you you everybody's clocked that a teacher's about to get really angry, except the kid who's going to get in trouble. It's always it's always hilarious, especially when it's yeah, a little, I, like you said, a little urchin sticking two fingers up. Just you know. another funny one was that um, in the early days of the Rico, we had Coventry away, and this guy got arrested. but well, the stewards grabbed him, and it was it was a comedy of. They were trying to grapple with him, and he went the whole way down the steps with his stewards in tow. <laughs> just, it was a tussle that went on for seemingly minutes on end, <laughs> and no one was watching the game. It was a poor drawer anyway. We're all watching what was going on to the side. I mean, yeah, how right. many times have you found yourself doing that, just looking at what's going on? A group of kids at Millwall as well, <laughs> probably like late teens, just like giving it all at Millwall as mm-hmm. often kids do, and it's like kind of ridiculous thing where like about 20 stewards are trying to like kind of shepherd them out and that little kind of almost like kind of almost like dancing <laughs> yeah, yeah, together yeah. And kind of like trying to back away from them and then get kind of like and then kind of like giving it their all again and then kind of backing away yeah. again yeah yeah it does actually kind of take you off the game especially the game's not the greatest one of all you know yes. well, I used to, a draw or something that's why i yeah. used to like um away games at craven cottage because the, the old away end you get a really good view of the river so you could always yeah. distract yourself. I remember one game, there was a terrible, terrible game at Craven Cottage. And they just so happened, there was two rowing boat crews, obviously practising for something, but one of them had like red and blue tops on. And they couldn't quite understand why these 3,000 people were going absolutely potty as they rowed past Craven Cottage. It's like, but it's, you have to be, when you're a Palace or a Brighton fan, you have to take your entertainment where you can... When I, when I, I was at Barnet ever these days, their yeah. ground, their new ground is right on the tra- the tube line. Oh, so is it? Yeah. Kind of almost counting the tubes going past on really terrible games. That's, really, <laughs> that's, that's funny. I always think there's often. a sitcom opportunity to put in basically almost the ludicrous nature of being a football fan into every into like sort of non-football related scenarios. Yeah. The, the trouble is, do you know what? There's a there's a sort of holy grail element to that, Robin, but. Outside football, people don't get the references. It's really hard to write. I know a football sitcom for non-football fans. Sorry, I have to say, Andy, did you have some questions as well? Did you say, by the way? For... Uh, well, there's a few, but you carry on with your anecdote. Go on. No, we no, no. Do, well, we could do it in part two. My, my best. Part two. Yeah, we could do the questions in part two. The, the yeah. best distraction I ever had. Um, we played Birmingham had already been relegated. I think it was. I think it was '89. I think we we just qualified for the playoffs and Birmingham had been relegated, and they all turned up in fancy dress. But they turned up late because their coaches had gone to the Crystal Palace Sports Centre rather than the, the ground. <laughs> uh, and they were they were fighting with as they were coming into the homestead that bit they were fighting. It, it spilled over onto the pitch. And I just remember, I mean, technically it's not funny, but just watching two coppers having a fight with Laurel and Hardy was just <laughs> hilarious because the Birmingham fans all in fancy dress, and then there was a Birmingham fan dressed as Sylvester the Cat who took his head off so he could 
stop throwing punches at the cop. There's just it's all these Palace fans just going, it's a different world up there, isn't it? And just like leave it. <laughs> and then, of course, it's that thing where Lauren Hardy get a massive round of applause as they're being led away by the police. <laughs> it's just like you can't. Because it's always comedy violence to go with Lauren Hardy anyway. So. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I think we probably will have a break there and we'll go into part two where we'll talk to you a bit more about your career, um, a few other bits about contemporary world of football for both sure. us and you, yeah. and um, those questions that Andy's got, uh, plus a few other questions. So, And so ends part one of our conversation with Kevin. In the next episode, part two of the conversation moves us on to the subject of his career on such things as Have I Got News For You, about his podcasting prowess with the likes of Albion's own Kieran Maguire on The Price of Football, and much more besides. So stay tuned for that one. Until then, up the Albion, stand or fall. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.